Welcome to Coffee with the Sarlows. I'm Kelly. And I'm Karen. We are a mother-daughter duo of mediums, medical intuitives, psychics, and energy healers offering personal sessions to clients all over the world. And this is our podcast. Coffee with the Sarlows is a platform to share the remarkable experiences of our clients and the messages that are channeled for them from the spirit world. These stories will make you laugh, some will make you cry, and some are certain to be an absolute butt-kicking with love. Our intent for this podcast is to gently and kindly challenge your beliefs, grow your empathy, and help you find pieces of your own self in each one of these individual stories. Before we jump into today's show, we have a few notes for our listeners. Karen and I have personal practices channeling for local and international clients. If the stories in these shows is something you'd like to experience, you can request your own personal session through our website, bysarlo.com. We also have gift certificates available if you wish to gift this experience to someone anywhere in the world. We have a second podcast series called Sips of Sanity. This series is your emotional and intuitive intelligence toolkit. We pick one topic every month and provide you with healthy tools for critical thinking and communication. This series airs the first week of every month. The first show is free and can be found on our website, your favorite podcast platform, or YouTube. The full series can be found on patreon.com forward slash by Sarlo. Patreon is our membership portal with a ton of monthly benefits for those of you seeking to grow your emotional and intuitive intelligence. Karen has a personal blog that explores the beauty and importance of intuitive gifts. There's a question and answer segment that addresses listeners' questions. As we mentioned, you can find the complete Sips of Sanity series here, along with handy habit trackers and great reflective questions to help you get the most from the shows. We provide you with guided journeys and music to enrich that experience, and we're running an emotionally intelligent, interactive book club. And for patrons in our top tier, each month we're putting your names into a draw for a free half-hour channeling session with Karen or myself. If you're interested in joining us, head over to patreon.com forward slash by Sarlo. Now, on to the show. Are you excited this morning, Kelly? Um, let me list the reasons why, Karen. Yeah. It's birthday month, first of all, and we all know that I go crazy in birthday month. <laughs> uh, Carmen Theobald is our guest for Sips of Sanity. <gasps> and then we got Dr. Margaret Rutherford back. Like, oh, yeah. yes, I'm excited as an understatement. What a great month. Yeah. And these two in the middle of winter in Canada. Yes. Like there's just, it. it's like this beautiful gift and I can't believe this is my life most days. And I even, you know, leading up to this podcast that we're about to do with Dr. Margaret, I'm thinking to myself, like at some point, Kelly, you're going to need to calm down and like normalize, like having a conversation with her. And then oh. I thought, you know what? No. Why? <laughs> I don't even do that with my closest friends that I hang out with on a Friday night or three times a week. I get this excited to hang out with my people and finding Dr. Margaret, then actually befriending her is the same. Yeah. And I I don't want to lose that level of excitement. Now, I think the added level that I'm experiencing right now is being able to share her with our audience. Yeah. We've done a ton of work with our patrons on patreon.com. Um in regards to the attachment styles and the whole purpose of asking Dr. Margaret to come and be with us again and share with everybody is because we wanted people to understand what it is to be healthy. Mm-hmm. And society is showing us so much of what unhealthy looks like, unhealthy, mm-hmm. that Margaret's going to come on and show us what healthy is. Yeah. And, you know, we, we say in the podcast too, we value both parts of the education and we kind of use the office as an example, you know, multiple times here. I absolutely love this show. It's Mm -hmm. brilliant. It's fantastic. It's one of the funniest shows running and I can sit back and appreciate it. And then there's this piece of panic where it's like, oh, but not everyone's watching this show from a psychology standpoint, yeah. to understand the brilliance, yeah. they're simply seeing the, the behavior for face value and not educating themselves. And then and then what we call normalizing the behavior. And yeah. that's not okay. So like you said, the intention was to talk about what does healthy actually look like? Mm-hmm. How can we make that normal? Mm-hmm. So let's move along 
and let Dr. Margaret explain it to us. Yes. Good morning, Dr. Margaret. Welcome to our show. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. I, I, you know, what was about two years ago, we had a conversation and I so enjoyed it. And so I'm delighted to be back, guys. Well, we've seen how much you've grown over the last two years. We both follow your show on Saturday mornings. And for listeners who don't know, your show is called Self Work. Can you take a moment to tell us why you created it and what it is for the listeners? Sure, of course. Thanks for asking. Um, well, I, I wasn't completely altruistic when I started self-work. I, was, I had written a book and I was trying to interest publishers in the book. The book's called Perfectly Hidden Depression. And actually publishers, I'm, I'm from Arkansas, as y'all know, and they would look at me and say, we really love this book, but nobody knows who you are. You're not in Los Angeles. You're not in New York, you know, and so you're in Arkansas. So anyway, I, I thought, well, what could I do that I would really enjoy? Cause I don't like to chase after followers. So, um, I, I thought I'd enjoy doing a podcast. So I started it five years ago and lo and behold, I only have almost have 3 million downloads oh. and yeah, it's crazy. Congratulations. Congratulations. It's crazy. Thank you. And so um, growing leaps and bounds. And so I uh, have a great team and self-work is uh, a lot of the episodes are me. I will research a topic. I'll answer a, and, and talk about it myself. I've been a clinician for 30 years, so I'll put in my two bits. Um, I also answer listener emails or voicemails um, every, every um, episode. And that's a very popular feature. So I would love to have your listeners on board. Um, there's a lot about psychology and mental health that um, is, we cover and everything from just common everyday things like willpower and motivation to, you know, more, more diagnostic kinds of things with depression and anxiety or even a personality disorder or something like that. So relationship issues. So it's, it's a very diverse podcast because I, that's what I wanted. I, I, I can't talk about the same thing for weeks on end. <laughs> can I, can I brag about you for a second, completely off topic to what we're doing today is oh. um, your accessibility. I, mm -hmm. I can't stress enough not to put pressure on you, the accessibility that your listeners have, your promptness in responding to their questions, even if it's not making, you know, air airtime for your podcast right away, of course, because you're, you're recording and kind of getting episodes into the bank here. But uh, as soon as you're requesting, you know, a, a response to a, a question, there you are, mm -hmm. there you are offering this support, this outreach, this, this kindness that in and of itself, I think, put, uh, puts people at ease. Mm -hmm. Oh, thank you so very much for saying that. You know, I find that really I like Instagram. I'm not a, I'm not a Twitter girl. Yeah. Um, I have a Pinterest account. I don't like to shop. So uh, <laughs> I put my, I have someone put my stuff on there, but I'm not much on Pinterest, but I love Instagram and I love the way that people, I can take the time. It takes two seconds to react and to respond. Um, I used to be able to answer every listener email because I didn't get that many of them. Now I can't do that, but I do read them all and I try to group them. Okay. People are talking about this issue or that issue. And, and I will try to get back um, at least with some answer to their question, but thank you. I, um, you know, people are wanting information. There's, they're starving for information and good information and solid information and non-jargonistic information. So uh, I'm, I'm happy to try to do that. And I'm always honored that people actually trust my opinion. Um, I'm not, I always tell people I'm not always right, but you're, you're going to, you're going to hear what I think. And then you can decide whether it fits or not. Um, and I mean that very sincerely. So, but thank you. That's, that's very kind of you to say that. Yeah, our pleasure. So, um, can we jump into mm -hmm. our much anticipated topic sure. uh, in our smaller series, our smaller podcast called um, Sips of Sanity, pardon me. We've been mm -hmm. talking a lot about attachment styles. And what we've noticed is that there's tons of good information out there mm -hmm. about the four different styles, but there's a really big focus on the unhealthy ones. And while that's great and we need to be educated, what we'd really love to give listeners in this episode is a snapshot of what the secure attachment style looks like, what it sounds like, um, and potentially what it feels like as well. Well, I should have asked my husband to come on and yeah, oh, oh, wow. no, I, 
I'm kidding. <laughs> we, have, we have some healthy things in our relationship, but we struggle yeah. just like everybody else. Um, yeah, I'm I'm more than happy to focus on that because I do think that people, you know, um, they say, for example, well, if I go to therapy, it, it, therapists always focus on problems. And actually, there's a lot of educational aspect to therapy where people are saying, you know, I hear these are your strengths. I really hear a lot of strengths in your relationship. And I hear compassion. I hear cooperation. I hear negotiation. Um, I hear respect for others. Uh, respect for your partner, but this is what I hear. I hear a little bit of sarcasm. You know, there's a little too much sarcasm, or you seem to focus on your children a lot and not enough on your relationship. So, you know, our job is to both point out to people what they do well, and also to see how they could tweak what they do to make it a little healthier. Beautiful. That's good. That's good. Can yeah. we start by asking you um, to describe if we're looking at an, a secure attachment style of somebody who's healthy, what type of parenting they might have had when they were a child, generally? Generally speaking, their parents uh, or a parent would have been highly attuned to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I often give the example, if you see your child coloring with red, you know, you say, gosh, you really look like you're enjoying red you know why do you like you know what do you like about red oh i it's the stop sign color or you know my hair is red or something like that and then you just notice what they do and and what they like and what they are seemingly curious about and that kind of attunement and reflection actually gives a child the sense of being seen the sense of being understood where you know when they then they start coloring with blue And you say, oh, you've changed from red to blue. Now, you know, I'm being a little uh, maybe uh, overly dramatic with my example. But what I'm trying to say is you you notice their individuality. You notice the things that they're passionate or curious about. And you simply reflect that back, reflect that back to them. And that gives them a very secure sense of I'm seen when they cry or when they say they're hungry. You respond to those needs. Um, And, you know, you know, mothers often can say, I don't care how many children are in the room. I hear when my child is crying and you have this sense of, oh, you know, and so I know what that cry means. I know if it means I'm bored. I know if it means I need to be held. I know if it means I need to be changed. And that kind of attunement is what secure attachment is all about. And then what happens gradually is that as the child begins to be more curious about their external world, then you allow them to, to safely go do that. And you remain constant for them. You remain, you're sort of their anchor. You're their, you're, you're what they come back to. And, and that doesn't mean you can't ever go anywhere. You know, that doesn't mean that parents can't go on vacations from their kids. I think the general rule of thumb is to really try to hold your vacation time away from your child uh, to the, a year for every year they're born uh, or every year they've been alive. So you can take two days if they're two and three days if they're three and four days if they're four in that they still, they have enough sense of your presence and, and they have that, they've absorbed that sense of attunement to where they can hold on to that for a fairly long period of time. Very so. Cool. Yeah, that's just kind of rule of thumb. I mean, a lot of people don't do that, but it's still rule of thumb. Dr. Margaret, can you talk about that attachment versus the helicopter parent? Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Helicopter parents. Um, You know, it's very interesting how that is usually created. Um, It's it can be created because of a lot of dynamics. It can be created because the actual adult partnerships aren't very stable and aren't very good. And so you are it's so attentive to a child that you smother them and you're making decisions for them. Um, also, there's a, a, again, it's jargon, but it's a tar- psychological term called enmeshment, where you don't really establish boundaries between yourself and your child. Um, you're almost living through them. 
And I think some helicopter parenting is like that. There's the, you know, we've all heard the example of the, the, maybe the son or the daughter that's a cheerleader and the mom, you know, hangs out with the cheerleaders all the time and, you know, is kind of a part of the gang and that's enmeshment, you know, that's, that's living your life through your child. I think it can be because of, um, over concern about success and sort of seeing your child as an extension of you. Meaning if my child makes A's, then I'm a good parent. If my child uh, is on the best, goes to the best college, then I must be a good parent. So you are judging your, you're evaluating the quality of your parenting by how your child does. Now, we're all proud of our kids. If, if they do something well and they seem to really love it and be immersed in it and it's something that brings them joy, but there's, you know, separating out that sense of, you know, I am, I am you and you, you, you are me. Is that right? <laughs> is that good English? Um, and so helicopter parenting is not attunement. It is, um, it's, if, let's go back to our red blue thing. You know, it would be like, oh, you're coloring with red, but don't you see there's some pink in there? So we need to do pink. And now don't you see there's yellow? You're not letting the child explore colors. You're telling the child what they need to do next to be successful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, one of the markers, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, or the terminology as well, is that there's anxiousness with the helicopter parent. It's, a, mm -hmm. it's very driven by anxiety. And with the secure attachment, it's very driven by curiosity. Um, wanting to foster and encourage this, this mm -hmm. sense of self in you, um, where both parents and child can know each other, but not be the same person. Exactly, exactly. I, I think that's a great distinction um, that, that when you are, um, and you know, I, well, I didn't finish that sentence. Obviously, if you have a child that has a disability or a health issue or something like that, that kind of helicoptering can can become an it can be a very natural response to, you know, I don't I, I want my child to do as well as they can. And, you know, I need to fight for them at school and I need to do all these kinds of things. And so sometimes it's 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 it emerges from a real need and then maybe it gets out of, out of hand a little bit. I worked with a, a mom and a son. I was trying to work with a son, but the mom kept coming to sessions, which was indicative of what was going on. And um, the son had some autism, um, but he was in the ninth or 10th grade and his mother did all his homework and typed all his papers wow. and that kind of thing. And I looked at her and I said, well, you know, tell me about your decision to do that. And she said, I want him to get in a good college. And I said, All right. you know, I don't mean to be um, too sarcastic or something, but I, I began to say, well, what do you think the college is going to be like? Or, you know, if he doesn't learn this skill, he didn't really know his way around a laptop. Mm -hmm. And in this day and age, that's really tough. And, and he was expressing some frustration and, and um, she, you know, I understand the desire for your child to do as well as they can. At the same time, he wasn't learning individual skills that um, were going to be skills that he could use the rest of his life. Right. It, yeah. Oh, I, lo I love where this is going. You know, if you, mm -hmm. if the, if that person that you're helping, whether it's, you know, a child or not, because we can talk about attachment styles, not just in parenting, if they're looking at you saying, oh, good for you, you did a good job, then you've done too much. They should be congratulating themselves. Wonderful point. Uh, I will tell you that my mother was definitely a helicopter parent. I had a, a neurological disorder when I was a child. My, my body temperature, I, my, uh, my um, hypothalamus didn't work correctly and I could get cold and warm and my body could warm up. But if I got hot, my body couldn't cool down. So I couldn't go outside in the summer. And it was, I had a, you know, a weird EEG for a long time. I was on medication. And, and yet my mother took that and um, I became her sole focus. And it was, um, it became way too much. Like you say, it was just this uh, hovering and 
Um, and what I learned, what I, the, the basic problem with that was that I began believing that I couldn't make good decisions without her input. Right. right. And so guess what? I didn't <laughs> right. uh, because I hadn't practiced much making choices myself. And I got to my twist. I'm not blaming this on my mom, but I'm acknowledging that that dynamic was a part of this. And I made terrible choices um, because I actually was looking for someone else to control me, you know, and I, I chose very controlling relationships. And so Maybe if I'd fallen on my face a little bit before then, that I might have made better choices along the line. But, you know, I gradually grew up, but it, it took me some time. Like so, most of us. Yeah. So <laughs> I think what I'm hearing there is that you're pointing out that healthy people fall flat on their face. Oh, yeah. And that when they do, they're not destroyed by it. Correct. Um, you know, perfectionism is is rampant um, in our culture. And so and one of the beliefs is that if I, you know, my mistakes define me, but I, I my mistakes are facts about me. Uh, they are and they can be even shameful or disappointing or frightening or they make you angry or they're embarrassing, but they're no more powerful if you don't make them. They, they're no more powerful than the things that are your strengths and that you do well. Um, and I, you know, I have a passion for getting that message out. That's really a huge message in my book. So, um, but, you know, I, uh, I, I think that too many people want to hide their mistakes, hide their vulnerabilities. Of course, Brene Brown talks a lot about how talking about your vulnerability is a strength. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I firmly believe that as well. Um, and, uh, so I, I think that in healthy attachment and healthy relationships, there is a sense of, you know, I, I know what my strengths are. I know my value and I also recognize my vulnerabilities and I recognize how those vulnerabilities are going to impact my relationship. Be that with my child, be that with my spouse, be that with friends, um, I can be impatient. It's I, I, I'm very, I'm way overly time. Uh, I'm kind of consumed with time sometimes. Well, how long is this going to take? Well, what time are we going to be there? You know, it's, it's not an attractive part of my personality, really. And it gets in the way sometimes in my relationship because I will be getting impatient or I'll be hyper aware of time rather than just hanging out in the present and being there. And I, you know, I have to kind of watch that. Now, some of that is I'm very punctual. I'm, you know, I can get a lot done in a short period of time. So sometimes it's a strength as well. But, you know, my husband will often tell me, you know, it, the, the tortoise won the race, not the hare. So <laughs> yeah, he's using some humor. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm, we, I'm hearing. Yeah. yeah. So like when you're talking about this relationship between this conversation with you and your partner, I'm hearing that you're listening to each other. Mm -hmm. I'm hearing that you aren't interrupting each other. You're not criticizing each other mm -hmm. that he sees the fault or the issue for you. Let's not call it a fault. Let's, he sees the issue that you It have. is a fault of mine, actually. It is not pretty sometimes. <laughs> He's using humor to bring it to your level of awareness. Mm -hmm. Like, and, and I just want to point those out for people because you presented them all in, the con in your conversation that all of this is done because he has a desire to connect to you. Yes. And he often, his style is, I use humor to reach out. It's his way of being intimate. It's, it's, you know, he's, he's a funny guy and um, he makes me laugh all the time. And so, you know, that is really the way that he reaches out. And I understand that. And, and I, I don't mind being called a hair. I am sort of a hair like sometimes. So, <laughs> but, you know, often I think people, uh, tend to think that healthy relationships do not have conflict within them. Mm. And it's really how you handle that conflict. And one of the things that I think is so important, in fact, um, Julie and John Gottman have talked a lot about this, that have you talked about the four horsemen of the apocalypse? You talk about it in your book? 
And I believe we touched on it a little bit in our last podcast, but please go ahead for people. Well, he, I'll just really, there are four things, and I know y'all want to uh, focus on healthy, but you know, contempt is really the most uh, damaging. Uh, way of communicating if you show contempt for your partner. Um, but so I think it's in healthy attachment, it's really important to for each person to have a voice. I often use this um, and people say, what in the heck is that? Basically, what I mean is that uh, I, I'm a football fan. I, I hate that people get really hurt, but I love watching the game for some strange reason. And you know, when, when it's going to be a football play, both teams line up, right? They take a stance and the offense reads the defense's stance and the defense reads the offenses. And sometimes they change where they are and then the play starts. Okay. If you apply that to couples, basically so many people say, well, I don't want to say what I think. I, you know, I, he never listens or she always thinks I'm wrong or, but, and, but that that's a relationship where both people don't have, a, are respected for the voice they bring. If you both take a stand, you know, I use a strange, you know, I, I want to have Mexican tonight. Well, I want Italian. Okay. So you're both kind of going, well, okay. So we're not in the same place. So we're going to have this play and I'm going to say, well, you know what? Mexican would be kind of okay. Or God, really, we just had Italian last week. You know, do you mind doing? And so you begin to negotiate, but you both have to have a stand first. Mm-hmm. And I think that's having a voice that's having um, your opinion, your expectation, now, I understand or respect. I understand that there are abusive relationships and that there are uh, manipulative relationships and and those don't have that kind of respect for one another's voice. And there's um, I, I'm not trying to say, oh, well, you could do this in every relationship, because obviously if it's not grounded in respect in the first place, then you're going to have trouble with this. But, you know people want to avoid conflict. And I, I will say um, that I think when you have conflict and then you resolve it and you negotiate and it, it is a wonderful feeling to know that somebody may have been really angry with you or disappointed in, in your, your stance or disappointed in something you believe. And they still want to go out to dinner with you. They still want to rear children with you. They still want to be your friend. And that, that tolerance of conflict, really, when you think about it, is, is such a backbone of true intimacy, because I know that there have been times that I've really disappointed my partner in 30 years, and he's disappointed me, and we're still in this relationship. So I think that healthy conflict is really a way of people feeling closer to one another rather than um, rather than a distancer. That was lovely. I thank you so much. This is not the end. It's just a big thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that was a really great example. And I love that it was uh, a lighthearted one taken into football so that people uh, you know, can kind of back off and not feel like they're under fire. Because I know some people will listen, trying to take everything so personally as well, which is probably a little bit telling of where your attachment style is at right now. And that's okay. Right. Um, right. But this is a really gentle way to be able to just see yourself. Did I take a stance and refuse to adjust? Did I take a stance and not even observe where my partner is at? Right. Or did I really take a stance and, and then intend to enter into the play? Exactly, exactly. You know, I, I told y'all uh, before we got started recording that I had recently done a podcast on codependence and interdependence and the difference between them. And I think interdependence is one of those things that is on a lot of levels, on a communication level, on a pragmatic level, on an emotional level, um, that spiritual level, perhaps, that that kind of sense of I can count on you for certain things and you can count on me and we share, we share responsibility. We, we share awareness. We share, um, 
I, you know, I know what you're good at seeing and doing and feeling and expressing, and you know, the things that I'm good at doing and feeling and expressing. And so we count on one another to just get through life together. Um, you know, I was laughed a few minutes ago about my husband says the, the tortoise run the, won the race, but at the same time, um, you know, sometimes he counts on me to say, gosh, you seem to be taking a really long time to make this decision and what's in your way. You know, sometimes my impatience or my, my sense of, gosh, a lot of time is passing is helpful to him because he kind of gets lost, you know, sometimes in, and well, I want to make the right decision and, and that's fine. I, I'm not knocking that, but at the same time, you know, it's, 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 it's an interdependence. It's, it's just kind of this, it's kind of like a seesaw. Do they still have seesaws? <laughs> I think they're still safe. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> because when you think about what makes a seesaw work, it's when there's, there's a fairly parallel or e- e- equitable weight on both ends. And, and when someone pushes off, then the other one goes up, but they trust that, okay, it's going to be my turn to come down and you're going to go up. And then when we both need to get off, you know, we settle in the middle and then we get off. There's a lot of trust there. Mm-hmm. I really, I love the example of time, not just because I personally resonate with it, I think at your level, um, but, but because it illustrates something really beautiful in that we have to be able to assess um, how we self-identify too. If I consider myself a prompt person, but mm. then I make that mean that everything has to be scheduled, everything has to be 15 minutes early, you know, we're, we're becoming so rigid in how we identify that we don't have the ability at that point to assess why does this matter on a Sunday afternoon when no one else is hanging on these plans? Nothing else is hinging on these plans. Why can't I be quote unquote late or lax with time? Um, and, And in that secure attachment style, like you're talking about on that seesaw, a partner or a colleague or a friend can come around and say, hey, I get that when you're booking your clients. What is the importance of identifying with promptness today? And, and that's, again, another wonderful point. That is when that um, responsibility for the impact of both your strengths and your vulnerabilities comes into play. I certainly know families that are organized around, um, in fact, I have a, a patient right now whose child almost died. I mean, it was just a horrible accident. And she's responded to it by uh, she has this thing called Y360, I think it's called. And literally she knows where everybody in her family is 24 seven. And she constantly watches it mm-hmm. on her phone. So we're working on it, <laughs> but um, <laughs> it's gotten to be very obsessive. And again, it, it was, it, it emerged from a real near tragedy. So you have to have a lot of compassion for that. But at the same time, her whole family's gotten organized around her fear. Mm. And she's beginning to recognize that and say, I don't like that, but it's good. You know, families do that. Families organize around, well, this will make mom mad or this will, you know, this will, you know, we only do what the adults want to do on a vacation or, or they'll just organize around uh, someone's uh, struggle. Mm. And instead of, instead of someone saying, wait a minute, we it, it's far healthier for us to talk about this and to negotiate around your struggle to not ask you, well, you just quit it. Just stop your struggle. You know, stop it. That's stupid. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't want to do that either. But at the same time, you don't want that vulnerability to govern the entire family. Oh, you brought us all the way back to my favorite word, Dr. Margaret. Process. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. In each, when I'm listening to you and when I'm listening to Kelly, when you're talking about where, they're, where the, the people get stuck and not, not be able to be healthy, they're stuck in some form of a process. I'm hearing repetitively that what your job is, as far as I can, you can correct me if I'm wrong about that, is to help people find a healthier process and to be able to, in that way, to be able to see it from different perspectives, not just their own. Yes, Karen. And that's called empathy. 
(laughs) (laughs) Yes. Well summarized. And when we have empathy for other people, we see, wait a minute, I'm only seeing this from my perspective and I need to try to walk around in their shoes for an hour or a minute or whatever it takes to say, oh, I didn't realize that given her or his stance on this or their stance on this, that they wouldn't, they wouldn't want to do this at all. Or, you know, it's just, it's having empathy and and making sure that empathy is part of that process. Beautiful. Process, as you say, I love the way you say that. (laughs) Here in the South, it's process. (laughs) I love it. And we are North, so it's process. So (laughs) we are very far North. (laughs) Um, Okay, I I really love how this has naturally taken uh, the direction that we were hoping for, because we had Mm -hmm. on our list that we wanted to ask you about what healthy process looks like Mm -hmm. in um, secure attachment styles. We also wanted to talk about how we see conflict when we have secure attachment styles. Mm -hmm. The the only other thing that we really wanted to touch on today before begging you to come back Mm -hmm. is... um, Asking roughly, or, or in general, I should say, how people who have a secure attachment style view endings. Mm-hmm. Ending mm-hmm. a job, ending a relationship. And you can, you can generalize if you want, or you can go right into a specific one and say, well, in a job situation, this is how we walk out of something um, when we are in a secure attachment style. Because we certainly see on TV um, and in movies where it's the unhealthy attachment styles are shown where they go in and they do things that are right outright violent Mm -hmm. and that we keep seeing it to such a degree now that if somebody doesn't like something, let's not just go from A to B, let's go right to Z and shoot them. And instead, I, I, I think our goal is to say to people again, that there are so many other options And when you want to become a secure style, or I'll call it a healthy adult, that you, there are far other ways to do it. Yes. Um, Okay. So a healthy ending. (laughs) Well, one is probably kind of boring. I mean, you know, (laughs) it doesn't make for good movies, particularly. (laughs) Um, It wouldn't be all that exciting. Um, I, I think that, um, you know, it's interesting. I, I, I'll tell this little bit of a story. I lived in Dallas for 13, 14 years. I got my PhD at UT Southwestern. I'd started out as a jingle singer there. So I had covered a lot of ground, I, you know, and I had a lot of different kinds of friends, but I had some very good friends. When we were going to move to Fayetteville, I was in therapy and my therapist said, it's going to be interesting to see how you respond to this transition, this end of your, of your living here in Dallas and the beginning of your, your living in Fable, Arkansas. And it will be interesting. It'll be, give you information about how, your, how those relationships end and, and what people do with something closing out or ending. And sure enough, uh, he was right. One of my friends picked a fight with me. Um, I think the ending of the relationship, and maybe I picked a fight with her, I don't know, but from my perspective, um, she got real mad at me about something that was, it didn't make any sense to me, and she disappeared. Uh, other people wanted to spend as much time with me as possible. Other people, and I, I, I gave gifts. That's what I did. I kind of tried to think about what the relationship had meant to me, and I picked out specific gifts for people. Um, but it was the ending of an era. It was the ending of uh, a time, and I had mixed feelings about it. I didn't particularly want to move, but it was best for our relationship. And so I, I think what the story you tell yourself and, and, and how accustomed you are to uh, not being afraid of things ending, uh, but seeing it as, what is that old phrase when, um, I think it's Chinese, uh, when, when one door closes, a window opens or something like that. Um, and so you have a sense of, you know, I'm not ending, the job is ending. I'm not ending, where I live is changing. I'm not ending, um, I'm getting a divorce. I'm not ending. You know, it's, 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 um, it's that sense of your own 
importance and value keeping on, keeping on. I mean, obviously, you know, death is, is not that way, but um, I, I do think it's this sort of sense of groundedness in, um, in believing that because something ends, you, you can have, you can expect it, you can even plan for it and you can um, see it as a part of life. One of the interesting things as a clinician that's happened within the last decade, because I see a lot of college students because my office is right by the university campus here. And I have seen an uptick in the anxiety around graduating from college. That um, I have seen uh, much more of a sense of, I don't know what I'm going to do. I think that's basically because of the enormity of the world. I think we can, we, you know, now what your friend in, you know, you have a friend in Italy or you have a friend in Maine or you have a friend in Arkansas. And, you know, you see that there's just this panoply of, of um, uh, examples of directions your life could go. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you're overwhelmed by that. We, you know, is this going to be the right kind of transition for me to make? But I, I think, um, you know, there's another thing that comes to mind. Sorry, this is I'm a little bit um, rambling here. I, I had a patient one time who she had come in. I can't even remember why she was actually there. This was years ago. But what I did notice about her was she had like three or four children and she was going through, quote unquote, empty nest. And she didn't seem to have any problem with it. And I, I only had the one son, so I was scared to death of empty nest. And I said, you know, what, what did you do that helped you prepare for the ending of this kind of parenting? She said, I relished every moment. Mm. And so I think when you're afraid of things ending, maybe it's because you feel like there was still something else that you wanted to get from that, that you wanted to experience from that. And if you really try to have this awareness of the depth of your of your um, connection with the present, that that can be a very helpful way of saying, so my, my present will change tomorrow. My future becomes my present. And it's that sense of I'm ongoing. I'm, uh, I'm going to relish the next present and the next present and the next. Now that doesn't mean that all, all things good happen. There are obviously things we have to grieve. Um, and, and those things are, are also, at times very difficult, but um, I, I think that if you are, you know, people will say, if I start grieving, it'll never stop. Mm-hmm. And my answer to that is I've never seen that happen, except perhaps with, um, with sudden death or death of a child, I think you move forward, you don't necessarily move on. But what I'm trying to say is that, that, that most endings are um, they can be grieved and, and you can get angry just like my, one of my friends did, or you can deny the relationship's importance, or you can, you know, you can justify and try to avoid being hurt, but at this, or, or just being sad, but you know, you can tolerate the sadness. You can learn to tolerate it. Yeah. I'm hopefully this is an okay addition. I'm also hearing too, that for people with secure attachment styles, they are sure of what their constants are. So while they're processing an ending of something, they maybe even run through a list self, like reassuring themselves of my constant is still the love and the relationships that I have. My constant is still my skills that are transferable if I'm leaving a job. And, and so the, the greater sense of self, um, like you said, I'm not ending, this event is ending in my life. Um, the constant is what holds them to that, that feeling of being grounded and being okay to grieve. Yes, uh, aptly put, I think. And so, um, you know, and also I will say uh, I'm 67 years old and, and this process of transitioning from uh, what, you know, what I enjoyed 20 years ago, I either can't do anymore or, or it's not a part of my life anymore. And, and yet I think a huge uh, skill in aging is to approach each year with, well, curiosity. We talked about curiosity at the very beginning um, and this sense of 
um, this may be ending, but but this is another, you know, I I'm I can create something that I also believe in and it will be a, a good present, um, even given some of the uh, struggles with with aging. So, um, yeah, I think that's right. I love it. And, and I don't know what direction this will take. I, I wanted to add to without being someone who counts your blessings to a detriment and, and leans into perfectly hidden depression in a secure attachment style. There's also a beautiful reflection of, yes, it's ending. What beautiful things did I get out of it? What exactly. can I take with me? Geez, that should be asked in every divorce court. <laughs> like, because when I'm, when I ask the question, Dr. Margaret, I do, my head goes to the listeners who are really interested in hearing some of the tools here because they're, they're, they're going into a divorce court and they may have a partner who doesn't have enough emotional intelligence to assess anything because they're just trying to drag them through or keep the enmeshment going. Mm -hmm. How long can I keep this divorce process in a court system to keep us enmeshed? Mm-hmm. So when, when part of me, when I asked that question, which is just purely in my own head, I didn't verbalize it. It, it, it's fun and it's wonderful to hear you guys, the two of you go back and forth and say, um, what, then what do I look forward to? Because it isn't going to be in this courtroom. It can be something I look forward to when court is over at lunchtime or at four o'clock. Well, I, okay. I think anything, I, I, if I can interrupt you, I don't, I don't mean to, I am going to have to go in a few minutes. So um, I think there's a huge reinterpretation process that goes on with uh, uh, partnerships ending, even friendships ending, anything ending, is that you do, you know, I've, I've used this analogy many, many times when you, you know, when you're in a marriage or a partnership, you often do things you wouldn't necessarily want to do, or you, you make sacrifices or you, um, you know, that's part of uh, being partnered. Mm -hmm. And so um, when you then get divorced, you say, well, why did I do all that stuff that, you know, it's like putting money in the bank for 20 years. And then you go to the bank at the end of the 20 years and there's no money. You know, the thing that you expected to get um, from the, from that kind of giving in a relationship, you're, you're not going to get. And so, I think there's a huge reinterpretation of exactly the question you just said. What did I learn? And, and people go, well, I have my children. I thought, well, that's great. But what did you learn? Yeah. <laughs> and what did you experience? And how are you a different person than you were five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago? Um, what do you know now? What do you appreciate about, you know, and with time, I think you can also back off from some of the huge emotional drain that many divorces are to say, you know, what did I appreciate about my ex-partner and, and, you know, what, how am I glad they were in my life and that kind of thing. So it's nice if that can happen mutually. Um, It frequently doesn't in non-amicable divorces. And so you just have to say, well, you know, I can do that internally. And, and again, you can be in your own present and say, all right, this is what I learned. And, and I'm going to take this forward with me. And all Thank of the you. same thing, leaving yeah. a job, right? I can yeah. see, I can do all of those things about an ex-boss. I, I love it. I didn't mean to interrupt your thank you. No, that's okay. I just got excited because I was hoping for this in the conversation today because we're just seeing so much in the media where they're really highlighting and making it look funny when people are being unhealthy and normalizing it. And I wanted to, we wanted to invite you here today to, to encourage people to understand there is a healthy way to be. And you don't have to have your partner be healthy with you or your ex or your past boss who's fired you. You don't have to have the partner on the same page for you to be healthy. Right. Right. That's right. Well, yeah, there's some. Yeah. Our culture is taking some interesting turns and and that sense of integrity is is very um, fragile right now for many, many people and. Um, we're sort of taking pot shots and then enter, then violence enters in. And so I'm, I'm hoping that uh, more moderately minded people and more mature people will come to the fore and say enough's enough and that kind of thing. 
Beautiful. Well, thank you so much again for your time uh, and your warmth. I, that's another mm. thing. I'll go bragging about you again. The warmth, the invitation that your voice has and your smile mm. has, of course, um, as you discuss really difficult things. I think that's that's certainly key to draw people in, keep them here and make them feel safe. Mm-hmm. Thank you very well, much. Y- y'all are also, you know, you're two of my favorite people, guys. So. <laughs> Thank you. Well, yeah, you're just wonderful. So um, I appreciate that. And and um, it's, um, I think I got that from my dad. My dad was um, everybody's, you know, he just knew everybody and I'm terrible with names. I don't know everybody, but, but I try to, um, I try to be as welcoming as, as he was. And, um, he would, he would always say it's a new day and you've got a, you've got a clean slate with me, you know? So it was just a very accepting kind of way to be and, and, and way to be present in, in every day. So, um, he was a, a wonderful guy and I hope I'm like him. Beautiful. Well, there's an open invitation um, to come back at any point in time. I know our listeners have been looking forward to this. So we extend that to you and and say thank you. Thank you so very much. You know, I always have in the back of my mind, okay, I need to have a conversation with them about what they're picking up about me (laughs) in their their medium kind of world. So one of these days I would love to. (laughs) Beautiful. Yeah. I heard Good luck. We wish you the best with self-work and Thank with you. fireside chats. Yes. You know what? And I'm going to talk to y'all about that later. I'm trying to see if the audiences get a little bigger before I invite guests on, but because it can feel a little bit, why are we here with just five people? So we'll see. I still have y'all in mind though. So. Oh, wonderful. Thank we you. look forward to that. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. Take care. Bye. Bye guys. And so is the love affair still on Kelly? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She just proves it over and over again. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, the most, I, I was saying this to you as soon as we stopped recording, I was like, the most disappointing thing of that experience is that because it's on Zoom, you're staring at the black dot that yeah. is the camera. And so you have this wonderful connecting conversation uh, with this super, superhuman. And you're like, I didn't even really get to look at her face. Okay, so everyone's going to notice that you did not and that you totally engaged with the camera. And they're all going to know, oh, they're Karen. laughing right now because like, it's like, no, it. Karen said, fuck that and looked straight at Margaret. And it's like, yeah. I did. She is so warm mm-hmm. and so animated and very engaging. And I just remembered at the beginning trying to drag my eyeballs up to that Zoom or the lens on the computer screen. And I thought, no, I'm I'm older and I'm allowed to not have to do things properly now. People will think I just don't know. I'm just going to stare at her instead. Oh, and funny. I'm just going to listen to all of that beautiful information on how to be healthy individuals and then show up for a healthy relationship. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, I just don't want to miss it. Yeah. Or her. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and of course, there's magic in her voice too. So I certainly did benefit, but I'm happy for you. I'm sure that was a much more fun experience. Yeah. And we hope for sure that no matter how you showed up today to listen to the show, that you enjoyed your experience. Um, you may do the opposite if you listen to it. You may go watch it and vice versa. Both are available to you. Um, and of course, too, we always invite you to ask questions, uh, whether they're for us or Dr. Margaret. She is someone that, as you heard, uh, has an open invitation to come back. So the more that you kind of provide your interest in your content or our content, uh, we'll keep providing for you. So make sure that you reach out to us and let us know what you think of the show. We'd love to hear from you, of course, and have a wonderful Saturday. Thanks for listening to Coffee with the Sarlos. If you enjoyed the show today, help spread the love with a like, share, or review of the podcast. See you next Saturday with a brand new episode.